coming up. What an excellent day for The Edge. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 46 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist Minute by Terrifying Minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. All right, so our minute begins with Father Dyer knocking on a door. And it ends with Damien grasping his arm. Mm. But before that, folks, I gotta read to you something... That I was hoping I wouldn't have to read. Um, I've been putting it off and playing with the idea of not reading it, uh, but it has to be done. Um, Stick with us for just a little longer because I promise it gets better. But right now, let's open our books. A reading from the Book of Blatty. Part 2. The Edge. Chapter 1. In our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until, in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Aeschylus. Chapter 1 They brought her to an ending in a crowded cemetery where the gravestones cried for breath. The mass had been lonely as her life, her brothers from Brooklyn, the grocer on the corner who'd extended her credit, watching them lower her into the dark of a world without windows, Damien Karras sobbed with a grief he had long misplaced. Ah, Demi, Demi. An uncle with an arm around his shoulder. Never mind, she's in heaven now, Demi. She's happy. Oh, God, let it be. Oh, God, please. Oh, God, please be. They waited in the car while he lingered by the grave. He could not bear the thought of her being alone. Driving to Pennsylvania Station, he listened to his uncle speak of their illnesses in broken immigrant accents. Uh, emphysema. I gotta quit smoking. I almost died last year, you know that? Spasms of rage fought to break from his lips, but he pressed them back and felt ashamed. He looked out the window. They were passing by the home relief station where on Sunday mornings in the dead of winter she would pick up the milk and the sacks of potatoes while he lay on his bed. The Central Park Zoo, where she left him in the summer while she begged by the fountain in front of the plaza. Passing the hotel, Karis burst into sobs, and then choked back the memories, wiped at the wetness of stinging regrets. He wondered why love had waited from this distance, waited for the moment when he need not touch, when the limits of contact and human surrender had dwindled to the size of a printed mass card tucked in his wallet. In memoriam. He knew. This grief was old. He arrived at Georgetown in time for dinner, but had no appetite. He paced inside his cottage, Jesuit friends came by with condolences, stayed briefly, promised prayers. Shortly after ten, Joe Dyer appeared with a bottle of scotch. He displayed it proudly. Chivas Regal. Where'd you get the money for it? Out of the poor box? Don't be an asshole. That would be breaking my vow of poverty. Where'd you get it then? I stole it. Karis smiled and shook his head as he fetched a glass and a pewter coffee mug. He rinsed them out in his tiny bathroom sink and said, I believe you. Greater faith I have never seen. Karis felt a stab of familiar pain. He shook it off and returned to Dyer, who was sitting on his cot, breaking open the seal. He sat beside him. Would you like to absolve me now or later? Just pour, said Karis, and we'll absolve each other. Dyer poured deep into glass and cup. College presidents shouldn't drink, he murmured. It sets a bad example. I figure I relieved him of a terrible temptation. Karis swallowed scotch, but not the story. He knew the president's ways too well. 
A man of tact and sensitivity, he always gave through indirection. Dyer had come, he knew, as a friend, but also as the president's personal emissary. So when Dyer made a passing comment about Karis possibly needing a rest, the Jesuit psychiatrist took it as hopeful omen of the future and felt a momentary flood of relief. Dyer was good for him, made him laugh, talked about the party and Chris McNeil, purveyed new anecdotes about the Jesuit prefect of discipline. He drank very little, but continually replenished Karis's glass. And when he thought he was numb enough for sleep, he got up from the cot and made Karis stretch out while he sat at the desk and continued to talk until Karis's eyes were closed and his comments were mumbled grunts. Dyer stood up and undid the laces of Karis's shoes. He slipped them off. I'm going to steal my shoes now, Karis muttered thickly. No, I tell fortunes by reading the creases. Now shut up and go to sleep. You're a Jesuit cat burglar. Dyer laughed lightly and covered him with the coat he took from the closet. Listen, someone's got to worry about the bills around this place. All you other guys do is rattle beads and pray for the hippies down on M Street. Karis made no answer. His breathing was regular and deep. Dyer moved quietly to the door and flicked out the light. Stealing is a sin, muttered Karis in the darkness. Mea culpa, Dyer said softly. For a time he waited, then at last decided that Karis was asleep. He left the cottage. Yeesh. Yeesh. That's our requisite yeesh. <laughs> at the end of all of these. At the end of all of these bummers from the Book of Blatty. Yeah, we say yeesh and also yeesh, yeesh with you. Yeah. <laughs> and also with your spirit. <laughs> oh, they changed. Yeah, when I was a boy, they didn't. I don't know when they changed it. So I came back to, to church, I guess, with my girlfriend at the time. And we went to mass and I was like, okay, I could do this. And then they, they, they changed the words. Yeah, they change it on you. I don't know what. They knew you were coming back. They were like, <laughs> it's like, we're going to get him. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Yeah. In front of Jesus and all the saints. <laughs> right. Them just looking down in their, in their little, <laughs> right. hey, Jesus, this guy don't know the words. <laughs> what are you doing breaking into the Lord's house? <laughs> Make an embarrassment of yourself. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. All right. Um, but yeah, folks, that is uh, that is our scene as Blatty wrote it. And uh, so now in the film, we have Father Dyer coming to comfort his friend in what is surely his darkest hour. Um, in fact, before we even get into the room, this first the, the first word of this minute spoken by Damien on the other side of this door is, yeah. And it, it, it is so full of pain. He's been holding on to this, like like the book says, for years. It's an old grief. It's an old grief. And now it's finally coming out. And is it is it my imagination or can you even see uh, Father Dyer's expression change a little bit as soon as he hears his friend's voice? It's like, okay, this is, this is where he's at. Absolutely. Um, so if you uh, remember from our last minute – we have a shot of Father Dyer coming down the hall, and he's he. This is his his place, right? Like like he is in this dorm. He doesn't seem like an outsider, though. Kids pass him in the hall, and and he looks in on, on um, kids playing poker, and he's just like, "This is great. This is me and my element." Yeah, he. It almost looks like he's about to break into song. Yeah, exactly. Right? Which he does. He does all the time, right? Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. what I like about um, this change that you lay out here, right? Where in the book he's in his own little cottage at Georgetown, the kind that Vladdy um, is probably writing from experience about where the priests might live. So here, shooting in Fordham, which is a, um, well, Georgetown is an urban university as well, but Fordham is in the Bronx. And so putting it here in this hallway and um, Damien is is grieving and dying right across the hall from kids playing poker, right? Yes, That's yes. a really great addition to it. That, that yeah. yeah. So seeing um, seeing Dyer have to transition, right? And, and, and feeling him go, okay, this, yeah, this is why I'm here. 
I'm here kind of as a doctor, I guess, right? Because he has this release, this bag. Right, right. Even if not like literally he's doing a house call, it feels that way. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, actually, you bring up a really, really interesting point, right? It's, it's, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's a singularly um, unique feeling of like when you're grieving or when you're really, really sad and around you, the rest of the world is like not kind of like matching your energy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like if Karis were like in his own little cottage and it was like, oh, I don't know, say raining mm-hmm. or if it was just like a gloomy day, right? Like you would feel a little bit less, um, I don't know, like, like, like jarred, right? Mm-hmm. Like the fact that these kids are, you know, uh, like having so much fun and there, there is the fact that, that joy still exists out in the world, but not for you. Right at that moment is 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 like a unique feeling and like folks who have felt it they know exactly what i'm talking about mm-hmm. um it, and it's very very um raw right if we do have longer younger listeners who maybe have an experience a close death like um like damon's going through you know very similar things happen psychologically to the brain with breakups um, right with being kicked out of school or ch- or moving um when you're or the young, death of a pet maybe oh, yes the death of your, i haven't had a death of a pet yet so uh, i i didn't have pets until i was uh, older so my cat is eight years old now um, and I think about it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, you son of a bitch cat. You don't live as long as me. <laughs> you're going to die one day. You're going to die up there, cat. Mm. I'd be so mad at you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, um, but yeah, yeah. All the, like the psychology of it, of loss of any kind is very similar. So even though, you know, there's different, um, obviously there's different degrees of, of loss, but, um, but yeah, you know, there's there's something about that. Like, I think kids go through that with their first breakup and they're in maybe high school or something. And they're like, the world is just going on. Yeah. Right. Like, there's still math class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We still have to learn about the periodic table. And, and it's I, like, who can think of, a, of a math at a time like this? Right. This is, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Or play yeah. dodgeball. Who could possibly yeah. play dodgeball? Yeah. Yeah. Or just or just like have any fun at all ever mm-hmm. again, you know, like. Yeah. It just seems like, and and you can almost be, I mean, you know, like you, you can, you can almost kind of get like a little bit annoyed at other people having mm-hmm. so much fun. It's like, okay, I get it. You know? Right. Yeah. That's why I think, um, as we said in the book and the script, Dyer is called out by Blatty about wearing a Snoopy t-shirt, <laughs> which I think is a, is a good idea. <laughs> Maybe not, you know, the costume designer would probably like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we're not we're absolutely not doing that but yeah dyer coming in he's like finger gun in his way in and then oh, okay here we go let's put on the proper um not like it's a mask but the proper face the proper performance for, for right. gaming as i go in yes like there will be joking i'm sure because that's the relationship that dyer and karis have even though this is the first scene we've had with them together right right um, but it's good natured joking it's yes it's, the joking is with the the purpose of of bringing karis out of his uh, of his um, sadness, right? We don't get to see who jokes first because we cut into the scene, right? And and we've, mm-hmm. we've they've been there for a little bit, and the the alcohol has come out of the um, the doctor's bag, the valise, right? Um, but uh, but you know, father, we see that that transition where Dyer is like, okay, I got to put on my serious face, even if he anticipates mm-hmm. that they're going to be joking, right? It's like, right, you know, who's going to do that He's... first? There's a time and a place. He can't come in like, hey, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, Cosmo yeah, yeah. Kramer, right? Like, right, right, right. <laughs> He's got to feel it out. He's got to feel where, where Karis is first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but yeah, like, like e- even before that, right. He goes in there, right. Because that's what a friend does. And guys, the thing that, that, uh, that helped me through this part of the book and this part of the movie is just that, right. Like even in the face of this horrible thing, we have proof of the endurance of good 
our characters, our heroes are in a dark, dark movie, um, a movie which is famously dark and famously upsetting so much so that I think the casual viewer, maybe maybe even uh, uh, the, the more seasoned viewer can come away from this thing wondering whether or not good triumphs in the end. Um, and we're, we're not at the end just yet. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're, uh, a, a, we've got a long road ahead of us, we're folks, on the but edge. we're on the edge, <laughs> right? Um, and, but I, I want to turn your attention to Father Dyer here, coming in to comfort his friend. Um, I think a lot of us think about uh, the strength of good versus the strength of evil, right? Uh, the end of our film will certainly test those two forces in like a very uh, bombastic display. And I think our minds go to that first, so much so that I think we miss these smaller but still powerful displays of goodness, perhaps because in these smaller moments, um, goodness may not necessarily win over evil, but I think that's the beauty right there. I think if we think about it in terms of win, lose, triumph, defeat, we miss out on the beauty of scenes like this, where sometimes the power of goodness does not come from winning over evil, but from enduring in the face of it. Uh, remember that line from Marcus Zusak's The Book Thief about how some people have this quality, right? He called it the quality of not leaving, right? This, to me, is an example of how goodness doesn't necessarily need to be as loud and as uh, uh, bombastic as evil. Sometimes it wins simply by being quiet and constant. And that's what's uh, what, what it's doing here with, with Father Dyer as he comes to comfort his friend. This time around, I've been, you know, we're looking at things very minutely, obviously, through a microscope. But hmm. this time I've been thinking a lot about how the movie ends with Father Dyer, right? So, hmm. again, spoilers if you're <laughs> if right. you're going. There's not a lot of indication in his first scenes that he will be someone that we are meant to see the film's arc through. Right. That's kind of one of the surprises of the end of the film is um, of – not not a bad surprise, but like we go, oh, mm. oh, oh, right. This yeah, is this yeah. is um, we're leaving this, um, and and we'll look at it again how how it works when we get there. But there is this kind of transference of point of view from our characters to Father Dyer um, in a way that at the end it's it's a little bit cold feeling sometimes because we're like, what about Chris? What about Reagan? Right. right. So I've been I've been paying attention to that a little bit and about what 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 this means, like how like yeah, it's something I don't quite have an answer for, but but this time mm. I'm looking for it as we as we look at the film. Yeah, and uh, I think this is this is this is a great opportunity, right? We got plenty of time. We have ample time to like you know examine this thing, and and you know sometimes sometimes we come up with answers, sometimes we don't. Sometimes uh, you know sometimes things surprise us, um, you know uh, that that we never saw before. Right. But uh, but yeah, I mean you know that's that's why I love doing this. Yeah. Um, so we cut from outside the room to a close up on a bottle of scotch, Shivas Regal. Uh, now. Keenan, a quick search tells me that uh, Chivas, which I thought was Spanish, is actually the last name of the Scottish brothers who manufactured it. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. However, it does have a meaning in Spanish, which I thought was appropriate here. Amongst several meanings, it has a lot of meanings, actually. But one of them is blanket. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you did the re I don't know anything about alcohol because I've yeah. never had a drink, so I've avoided that my whole life. So, <laughs> Well, that's – I mean, yeah. Um but yeah, it, it's it's funny, folks. Like we we get presented with uh, these things every minute. I'm like, should I do a research on the whole history and development of Snoopy? I don't know. Like, <laughs> why not? What, what would that hurt? What, you know, let's just do that, right? <laughs> Everyone should know um, more about Snoopy. Yes, right. 
should be taught in all the universities. But scotch whiskey, yeah. Do you have to scotch whiskey? Yeah. No more. Yeah, no, that. no. But <laughs> I just, I just thought, I just thought that um, uh, blanket was a uh, was a really cool little That's thing. Right. You know, certainly Damien knows what Shivas uh, Regal is, <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? He's able to say, "Oh, would you afford that?" Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So he knows he knows that this is a uh, you know, and and I think I think like uh, maybe uh, drinking connoisseurs are like, yeah, obviously that's a really expensive, <laughs> really famous uh, bit of alcohol. There, mm-hmm. boys, come on. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, now we see that this thing is more than half gone. <laughs> so time has jumped considerably, uh, and we are maybe not. Maybe maybe it's you know we've only been in there for a minute, and you know, Karis <laughs> just grabbed it. And he's like, oh, I think so. Oh, and oh, yeah, oh, one yeah. thing behind the the, um, the bottle looks like a like a used up. Um, a uh, carton of not a carton oh my goodness i used a pack of cigarettes yes yeah mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah i i imagine that we're most to think that they've been drinking the whole thing and smoking all their cigarettes right yeah yeah so this is so 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 yeah some time has passed um and uh we're we're perhaps coming in at the end of what was likely a very long visit um, Father Dyer is putting out his cigarette as Damien. I, I keep wanting to call him Damien lately mm-hmm. um but i think that's fitting here right like like um it's weird. Like I unconsciously call him Damien or <laughs> Father Karras, depending on like his uh, like position in the scene, right? Or Dimmy, uh, so da- or or Dimmy, right? Sometimes. Um, it, it, now Damien asks, like, where'd you get the money for the Shivas Regal? After and after some pressing, Dyer says that he stole it. Um, I'm not sure what to make of this. Do we believe him, or is he being sarcastic? Like he is, as we know, Father Cutesy Flip, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's his that's his nickname. Yeah, there's a there's a nice bit of uh, humorous bladdy dialogue here where where <laughs> it is. Um, where'd you get that? You take it out of the take the money out of the poor box, right? And then Father Dyer's like, "No, that would be terrible, right?" Yeah, yeah. I stole it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but he says he stole it from the the president of the university. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if we're supposed to take it literally or not, but yeah. I wonder if he. I wonder if if because because uh, in the book. Uh, Karis is talking about like his suspicion that, uh, you know, uh, Father Dyer is also here like on behalf of the president just to kind of right. like check in on, on Karis. And so I imagine like the meeting went like, it's like, Hey, go check on, you know, our guy, Father Karis and Father Dyer is like, sure. And I'm, I'm going to take I'm gonna this Shivas Regal yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yoink. Right. Yeah. So stole whatever, <laughs> right. Borrowed, stole, whatever. Um, but yeah. But then they're talking about, yeah, the poor example it would have to, to be drinking as they're getting uh, drunk. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. And again, like this is, um, I think you pointed out before Keenan, like, is this one of those, the, like the first films where we kind of like see priests not being on, like not being like in character. Right. A lot of the thirties and forties priests were in character, right. Father, um, father O'Malley, who, um, who Spencer Tracy plays in Boys Town. Um, father. Oh, his name was father O'Malley. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> Let me double check. Well, I'm just saying, cause like our actor here is named father. O'Malley. Yeah. But there's a, um, I'm sorry. I have my I have my names wrong. Father O'Malley is the next movie I was going to talk about, which is going my way with Bing Crosby. Ah, okay. So that's Father O'Malley. What the hell is? The, oh, sorry. What the heck is the father in mm. Boys Town? Spencer Tracy won an Oscar in Boys Town playing a father named Father Flanagan. Of course, the, okay. Um, there we go. The, um, that's the the founding of um, that's the real life story of the founding of Boys Town. By the real father Flanagan, so then okay, father, so he was a founding father, yes, of Boys Town. So then Father O'Malley was another Oscar-winning role, but for Bing Crosby and Going My Way. Gotcha, and yeah, they're gotcha. on all the time. They they don't have you know they don't have a life before or after the movie. Um, mm-hmm. We don't know about their uh, about their family life. We don't know about their what they did before they were priests. Um, they're just both young hip priests, but we don't know much about them afterwards. Right. 
It's inter- like like you never really think about it, right? Like you just assume that like uh, a priest's favorite book uh, or or mode of entertainment is reading the Bible, <laughs> and his favorite his favorite music to listen to. It's like let's go and listen to CDs of like you know mm-hmm. um, some some hymnals or something like that, <laughs> right. right? Like you don't imagine them like bowling or smoking or right. watching TV or something like that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Or yeah. boxing, right? As we talked or about, or boxing, right? So yeah, yeah. in the background of this shot with the um, the bottle of uh, of Rivas, uh, uh, what? Sorry, the bottle of uh, Shivas Regal, yeah, yeah. Right. We have uh, the cigarettes, but also we have Damien's um, free weights that he has in the back. Oh, okay. There, yeah. And so, yeah. So, uh, in any case, like you know, Damien believes him, right? About about stealing the uh, the uh, the Shivas Regal. Father Cutesy Flip goes on trying his best to make Demi laugh uh, or at least smile. But we get a close-up on Dimmy's face. Now I'm calling him Dimmy. Um, and again, this amazing blank canvas of the actor's face. We can see the struggle going on just behind the eyes, the struggle to keep it together. And then it, it's almost like he remembers something, and that's what does it. He, he turns away uh, – from what? He's not looking at anything, but perhaps he turns away from the memory. He looks mm-hmm. down in despair and he says, oh, Christ. Um, you know, and he's, he just completely breaks. Um, yeah, like he goes once, on t- once their bit ends, right? Like they can do yeah. this banter and then like that's all that's keeping him from forgetting the grief for a second. Right, yeah. right, right. He's he's trying to like keep up with the with the bit, yeah, and he's he's yes ending and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like Abbott and Costello, and with third base. Oh God, <laughs> oh, <shit>. <laughs> <laughs> my wife. <laughs> <laughs> your wife? Who's your wife? No, who's on first? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, someone needs to make that. Someone needs to make that. Where, like, the the initial joke is that, like, what if the camera had just stayed after the bit and and Abbott just breaks down, and then and then we think, oh, this is the joke. This is the joke that it's like this, like the serious, serious moment. But then it kicks back into who's on. Right, we got a coda. Take two. Let's go. Let's go. Oh god. You okay there, bud. I know these these baseball stars nowadays. They got strange names, but come on. Pull yourself together. <laughs> mm. uh, oh, my God. <laughs> but you just don't understand. Nobody understands <laughs> this madness in this world. <laughs> These baseball players' names. Uh. <laughs> I saw um, the Naughty 90s, the movie where they, um, you know, Adam Costello had done who was on first, like, on stage. So there's not, like a definitive version you could see um clips of them doing it on stage as well but the one movie that has who's on first in the most of an interface called the 1990s mm-hmm. and it's an okay movie it's not it's not one of their best movies but but that's like the best on film version of who's on first i see so that's the one that you see but then i was surprised i was shocked actually there's um there's another scene later on where um where uh where bud no, wait, Bud Abbott, Lou Costello. Yeah, Bud Abbott mm-hmm. is, um, he's trying to get uh, his his nerve up to fight a guy. Like, like um, uh-huh. Costello's trying to get him like, hey, you could take him on. And he says, yeah, I'm a tough fella. I'm a tough fella. Kind of cowardly lion way. Says, I'm a tough fella. I'm a bad hombre, he says. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> a bad hombre? Wow. Which I know. I mean, you know who says bad hombre? 
Wait, no, wait, what? Donald Trump <laughs> said bad hombres. What? Yeah, during the, during the, um, it's one of, you know, there's so much Trumpism, so maybe you can be forgiven for forgetting this, but this is a really big one. During well, the- I try, like, I try my best not <laughs> to, to listen to him. So, I mean, and it's unavoidable it's sometimes, unavoidable, but. Yeah, but this is one of his during the first campaign in, in the, um, in the debate with uh, Hillary Clinton. He said, we need to deport these people. Some of them, they're, they're, they're bringing in drugs, et cetera. They're bad hombres. And people were like, what a strange phrase, right? And then, yeah. like, so people had pulled it up, and there's like movies, like, um, you know, uh, with uh, Latin people that are bad hombre and that kind of thing. Like, they've taken that as this badge of honor. But I'm like, in your crazy brain, did you just like remember this Lou, <laughs> this, um, uh, this Abin Costello bit? Yeah, from your childhood. You don't even know, like, because Trump has all these really weird turns of phrases, right? And like, yeah. like, you know, so obviously people who like Trump, they're like, he's a genius. He, he knows how to coin these terms. And other people were like, you're a madman, right? So where do you get these terms, right? Like, um, <sighs> like she's bleeding out of her whatever. Like, these, like, like, they're like, how would anybody put these words together, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. He might have, um, he might have gotten that somewhere in his subconscious from uh, Abin Costello. <laughs> I love how we censor, it's like you say, bleeding out of her, whatever. Yeah. I love how we don't censor ourselves with the exorcist. <laughs> no, no, that's, what, that's what Trump said. That's what I'm saying. Oh, he said, yeah. he said specifically whatever, yeah, the word said, whatever. Said, I, I didn't know that how much you've been trying to forget all this Trump stuff. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. So he says of Megyn Kelly that Megyn Kelly was so mad at me. Her eyes are bulging. She was bleeding out of her nose. She was bleeding out of her whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. You're just like, how did be like, like, where in your brain do you get these phrases, right? Maybe that's a, an uh, Abin Costello. Yeah. Bleeding out of her whatever. <laughs> oh, 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 Lou, I was bleeding out of my whatever. Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> okay, okay, okay. All right, let's get back. Let's, uh, yeah, let's just. Uh, <laughs> so Demi goes on. He, he goes on talking about how he should have been there. Um, and that's when Father Dyer gets up and he goes to him. Again, folks, we get, we get those counteracting forces, those counteracting themes, right? The moment despair rears its head for, for Damien, Dyer is right there holding him. Again, an embrace, right? He tucks him in, Father Dyer playing father to son Dimmy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we cut, it's like cute little, uh, uh, bit of business here as, uh, he takes the cigarette from Damien and he puts it in his own mouth. I like that. Um, and we notice the humor ramping up just a little, right? Chasing away the darkness of the scene. Um, I tell fortunes by reading the creases, uh, as Dyer goes to turn off the light, Dimmy's hand reaches out and grasps Dyer's arm. What do we make of this, Keenan? When I first saw it, I thought he was like grabbing Dyer's arm, like, uh, you're a really good friend type of thing, but I'm thinking about it now. Like, could it be that he doesn't want Dyer to turn off the light? Hmm. Like spoiler for the next minute, folks, this is that that's what he got up to do. Um, <laughs> like, could it be like, like, hey, I can't face the dark or is he just reaching out to his friend? I, it just feels desperate. Like, like, I don't know if he if he knows why he's, he's mm. grabbing out for him. Right. It feels like somebody emotionally drowning. Yeah. He's pulling yeah. out and, and just reaching and, and like just here contact. That's it's all. It yeah. Is. He needs some kind of human contact. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting pairing these two together like pairing um so in the book there's there's mention of mary's funeral in the movie right. we lied over that we don't have any of the funeral so in the right. and it, also in the book there's a break where it says we're done with part one we're in part two yes right? we're, we're at the edge now we're mm-hmm. in the beginning mm-hmm. now we're at the edge so in the mm-hmm. movie we don't do those because as i said before like as a weaker director i would want to include everything in the book you know mm-hmm. i would want to include these title cards and everything but like to to juxtapose so so closely the scene in bed with Chris and Reagan mm-hmm. 
where it is uh, Chris reaching out to to grab Reagan, and now we have uh, Damien as the person on the bed reaching up for Dyer. Like this is oh. this is the kind of thing that cinema can do, right? Like we don't have characters explaining it; it's not in the prose description. There's not a narrator, right? It just yes, those things are are mirrored and they're perfect, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. I I like how much we see of Damien's room again. We haven't seen this before. Mm, yeah. We haven't seen it. Um, and so we know it's a dorm because we see Father Dyer passing other dorms rooms. Right. And it's really interesting to me, like, how similar it is to the cell of a priest, right? Like, um, mm. uh, oh, I actually don't know. Have you, have you seen, like, priest bedrooms and things like that? I haven't, but... Um... Well, I don't know. Like, like, I, like from from the deep, deep, deep recesses of of my mind, I imagine them to be like like in movies that I've seen, like very, very sparse, mm-hmm. very clean, very, very um, uh, kind of like like straight edges and and all that. Yeah. And I do, I do remember in the book it does say I don't know if it if we've passed this scene or not, but um, Blatty does remark that Karis has very few possessions, and all that he desires is that they are clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does not seem to jive with like what's going on here. This is, and maybe, maybe we're trying to kind of like get a look into Karis's emotional state mm-hmm. here that like he is, he is falling apart. He is in shambles. And so his room is also in shambles right now. Yes. Um, so I, my mother used to work at the rectory of my church a little bit when I was a kid, she would do mm. um, not full time, but she would go and help the priests with their taxes Okay. Um, and help clean up the office and stuff because she wasn't an accountant, but my, but my grandpa was. And so she can go mm. do some things with my, uh, with the priest there. And we would, um, sometimes get to go and just sit, sit in their little kitchen. It's very little. I mean, this is a rectory that would house, I don't know, at the time I was so young, I didn't ask like maybe four or five priests, something like that. Mm. And you'd get glimpses of their living spaces and they were very, very small, right? Like shockingly mm. small. Um, and so for, for Damien to have a dorm room basically as his space makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, I haven't spent a lot of, I didn't, I didn't, uh, live in the dorms, right? You didn't live at the dorms when you were in college. Either. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. So I have yeah. a little bit of it, just seeing friends, um, uh, living in the dorms. And then sometimes when we go to conferences at a university, it's a cheaper option to go and stay at their dorms rather than yeah. taking a hotel. Um, it's always shocking how, how different they are, but how much they very are the same. And they always feel like prison cells. <laughs> I've never seen a dorm that feels welcoming or, that feels nice. I don't know how kids, um, you know, young college uh, students like make it into a fun place to hang out. Yeah. And, and yeah, Damien's space is not a fun place to hang out. No, no, definitely so not. So you kind of get the feeling of that, like even before he's going through his grief, right? It is messy now. There's things on the floor. His desk is, has papers everywhere. Um, yeah. Like his filing cabinet is open. There's like, you know, it's, it's all in disarray, but you get the sense that he doesn't have people over. Yeah. Yeah, there's not like it's not like a homey place. So like he likes living in the dark, it seems, or he's stuck in the dark, however you want to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I go back to your reading and talk about this Aeschylus quote? Oh, sure. Yeah. So this is the beginning of part two, The Edge, right? Mm-hmm. And we start with this quote from Aeschylus. So Blatty's writing the book when in 70, 69, 70, 71, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this quote from Aeschylus would have been probably much more famous than it is now uh, to us today because this was read by Robert Kennedy um, on live TV in front of a crowd the uh, night that um, Martin Luther King was killed. Oh, So for some people, um, because Robert Kennedy was running for president, for some people, Mm -hmm. this was how they learned that Martin Luther King had been killed. 
um, because he was he was giving the speech. So it's actually a pretty incredible clip that you can find where um, RFK is in front of a group um, and he's talking to um, uh, in Indianapolis to a large group of, of black voters. And you can see in the um, in the clip, like the crowd has a lot of black people in it. There's black people on stage with him. And so he gets on and, and he says, let me read here. I uh, so I won't, I won't do the voice, <laughs> but you can read <laughs> RFK. Um, yeah. So he gets up on stage, ladies and gentlemen. I'm only going to talk to you for just a minute or so this evening because he had been planning to do a speech. Right, uh, right. So I'm only going to talk to you for a minute or so this evening because I have some some very sad news for all of you. Could you lower those signs, the campaign signs? Mm-hmm. I have very sad news for you all. And I think sad news for our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. And you could you could it's it's a really really crazy clip you could hear people in the crowd like it's very clearly them hearing about it for the first time and you could just hear oh this, this outpouring of grief so um <sighs> so he goes on to talk about martin luther king and everything that that um that meant um he talks about the polarization between uh black people uh, the black community the polarization mm-hmm. within the white community and then um the hatred towards one another etc mm-hmm. um so he says but we have to make an effort in the united states we have to make an effort to understand to get beyond or go beyond these rather difficult times my favorite poem my favorite poet was Aeschylus, and he once wrote, Even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart, until in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. So he uses that to eulogize Martin Luther King in the moment. Hmm. So I don't know, I haven't done any research about that, about how how famous that would be, but certainly more famous in 1971 and 72 than it would be today. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if this is this is why it kind of like um was was in Blatty's mind. I imagine so, right? So I haven't found a smoking gun of evidence about that, but um yeah, there's there's two options, right? That either Blatty is um as enamored with Aeschylus as RFK is, which is possible, right? right? They're both learned people, they're both Catholic. Um quoting from a um a I don't know if you should say Aeschylus's religion. What is Aeschylus's religion? <laughs> I don't know if it's right to say he was a pagan, right? He he was a believer in the um, the ancient pantheon, right? The Greek pantheon. So, like quoting quoting this um, playwright who would be familiar with the ancient pantheon um, mm-hmm. about the nature of death and despair and grief, right? Mm-hmm, so maybe mm-hmm. RFK and um, Blatty both liked Aeschylus and both like this quote. I think it's a little bit more likely that Blatty was familiar with it because of RFK, right, unless we find yeah. evidence otherwise. Dang. Okay. Well, I mean that that actually brings uh, some uh, some some insight into ah in, yeah, like in, into the whole theme of this this minute, I think, and then also into our reading. Wow, thank you, Keith. Yeah, thinking about like the horror of the Exorcist in historical context, right? Because mm-hmm. um, as you say, the movie and the book, right? The movie probably more so feels more timeless, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you, you said that in a couple of minutes ago, right? That the um, yes, that the movie feels timeless. We're not um, like Blatty's inclinations is to like you know, Snoopy <laughs> yeah. uh, jokes about the remake of uh, goodbye, Mr. Chips, et cetera. Right. The movie yeah. is not tied to that. So we don't hear which presidents of the white house, Nixon. Right. Right. So we, we can have our, our movie sort of anywhere, but again, like the exorcist is at, is released at a time of great social change of great religious yes. change of great political change. Um, and it's one of my most interesting uh, parts. Or, uh, it's one of the most interesting parts to me about American history and mm. how much society, like like the nature of what it is to be an American changes, like our yes. inner inner life changes more than the external, like more than laws. Like it's who we think of ourselves as like that changes irreparably. Um, so a horror movie that comes out of that would be about these themes that you've been talking about and not necessarily about 
boogeymen or even um, like a lot of the 30s horror films are about class. Right. Yeah. Ah, wow. Really interesting. Well, in any case, that's where we leave our two fathers. Uh, once again, folks, I'm continuously surprised by how many of these minutes end with our characters being together. Mm-hmm. As lonely as this movie sometimes is for them, um, like a lot of minutes end with them being together. Either they're together and happy or they're together um, uh, you know, facing some sort of trouble, mm-hmm. at, but at least together. Keenan, is there anything else we want to talk about in this minute? Uh, no, I think we got it all. Folks, once again, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. You can find me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I've been Keenan Deese. You can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd as Howdy Keenan. And yeah, the website for the show is theexorcistminute.com. And also, we have a listener group on Facebook. It's called Compelling Conversations, an Exorcist Minute listener group. It's a private group, but just request to join and we'll let you in and then you can be in here with us. And of course, as always, if you'd like to leave us a message, uh, our email is theexorcistminute at gmail.com. All one word, and we'll be sure to read it. Lastly, if you like the show and you want to help us out, the best thing you can do for a show that's just starting out is to uh, hop on over to your uh, your podcast directory and leave us a little five star review, um, and that'll help other people find us, and uh, that way we can keep growing this cool community. Um, all right, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Okay, folks. Until next time, the power of Abbott and Costello compels you. <laughs>